In the Now, Episode 10. In this episode, we are joined by Steel Now's panel of experts to discuss the past two years and some predictions for the next year. So stick around. This show is brought to you by Steel Now. Steel Now takes the pain out of buying metal, whether you've been buying for 20 years or you are new to metal purchasing. It's a difficult process no matter what your expertise, and Steel Now works with our network of over 60 suppliers to get you a fair price and a lead time that fits your project. So visit SteelNow.com today. Okay, we're back for the first episode of 2022 of the In The Now podcast. I am your host, Tony, joined always by my co-host, Jonathan. And today we actually are joined by the Steel Now panel of experts. Now, I'm going to introduce the panel here and we're going to get into kind of trends of the last two years and what we see might be happening in the next couple of years uh, based off of what we've seen as far as markets go, as far as the metal industry goes, as far as consumer shopping in general goes. So introducing today's panel, we have Jonathan, as usual, who is 10 years expertise in customer relations. We have Mike, Mikey C, who is 10 years experience in content marketing. We have special guest Jason, who is 20 years in marketing metal industry. So he is a metal expert going back to 1997. And then myself, Tony, I've been working in technology and traditional industries for the last 10 years. So We are the expert panel, and we are going to talk about this stuff. And basically where this came up was from an article from McKinsey.com back from the end of 2020. And they also have an update for 2021 that talks about consumer spending and things that have changed, patterns that have formed and patterns that are changing. And my takeaway from it is basically that more people are buying things online than previously did. More people are trusting online to take care of things that they previously wouldn't have, such as food deliveries or certain in-store curbside shopping and stuff like that. But also it seems that brand is not nearly as important as it used to be, you know, um, 80% increase in private label purchasing. So that's a pretty big increase considering that main brand increases were about 50%, private label, 80%. So people aren't as worried about brand. They're more worried about value. When we look at the top six most important things for consumers, availability, hands down, winner, most important part, convenience, next. After that, value, fourth, quality, fifth, health, sixth, purpose-driven. So purpose-driven used to be a lot higher on this list, but as you start seeing things like inflation or you start seeing things like shortages, availability and convenience becomes way more important. So with that, we'll kick off this conversation and I'll start by just saying, hi, Jonathan, it's 2022. We're doing our first podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's been a while. Glad to be back. I'm excited to uh, get going again. So maybe we'll start this with just a quick you know, introduction of, of Jason, Jason, if you want to give 30 seconds on why people should can trust you on our panel of experts in the industry, 20 years, you give them 30 seconds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's it. That, that sums it up. Uh, no, I, you know, the metal industry is pretty much all I know. I've been involved in the industry sales, um, marketing management. Yeah. Since 1997. So, um, all I can speak to as far as knowledge goes, just metal, 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 all metal, all the time. Very good. And 
Mike, you're you're back for another one here. Previous, you're always the producer of this show, but you've also we had a deep dive into content marketing with you previously. First, I guess I wanted to kind of go around and see what everybody thinks of the trends that we saw over the pandemic. If they have anything they'd like to add to that, and we'll start with you, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just looking at and and thanks for having me back on. By the way, um, I, I think you know, in looking at this McKinsey report that you sent around, and and this will be the link to it will be in our show notes. One of these, when you start talking about these consumer themes that emerged, um, one of them was that consumers are shopping what they call an omni-channel way, and they call social media as the new window shopping. And you know, I. You definitely see that because, and I think it speaks to the the trend of the consumers opening up their options a little bit more. I can't tell you how many times on Instagram or Facebook, you come across these ads for something and, and you're maybe a little bit more willing to give them a try. And I, I know we talked about in a previous episode, how that could be a bad thing, right? Because, you know, trust in e-commerce is, is what it's about. But I wonder if this trend is speaking more to, okay, something's come up in social media. Oh, that looks like a good deal. I'm more willing to trust that because like you said, those consumers are prioritizing like price and availability more. So that one kind of stuck out to me and, and uh, you know, harkens back to our social media content marketing discussion. Yeah. And I mean, I think in my own life, uh, the first thing that I could no longer find at the grocery store were those uh, prepackaged frozen hash browns. They were just out at every grocery store I went to. So I found a grocery store in town that for whatever reason had a different supplier for them and always had them in stock. I shifted shopping at that store for that very reason because of availability. And it turns out I didn't care about anything else about the original grocery store. So I think decisions like that are a no-brainer and it makes sense that you're going to go where you can actually get the things that you're trying to buy rather than sit there and hold out for your favorite brand to get it back in stock right yeah but it also opens up that that trick bag again i guess if you would like when we talked about that trust in e-commerce um and, and you know we built up a lot of a lot of momentum leading up to the pandemic of of folks getting trust in e-commerce and, and knowing that maybe some of these brands that pop up may not be as reliable or trustworthy. And I wonder, you know, are we opening up that can of worms again? But that's just maybe a, a pessimist side of me. But so yeah, I, I found that very interesting. You know, I think that opens up the broader discussion of folks we're looking at other brands now and, and someone that can bring reliability and convenience to their personal life, their professional life. And that speaks right to steel now and someone that they can trust. I think it speaks well to what, what we're doing. Yeah. And you know, I was talking before this, we started recording this episode that uh, two years ago, steel now had a lot of small orders, you know, things that people couldn't really find or it was harder for them to find a small piece of whatever we could find it. We have a lot of those. And now that's kind of switched to uh, less orders, but overall much larger orders. And I think that that is because we have the availability because through our network of suppliers, we can find the things that people are struggling to find. And so they're just coming to us, which is great for steel. Now we kind of ready for that. But Jason, I was wondering if you could speak as far as the metal industry as a whole, what you've seen over the last two years with buying trends. Yeah, I, I think buying online is, is is probably here to stay, right? I think when you look at the convenience and maybe, you know, during the pandemic, it was out of necessity, right? You, you know, you couldn't or didn't want to be around, you know, other people. Buying online was a, a, a new alternative, maybe for a lot of people, right? And, and making that shift. And I think buying metal online 
has been kind of slow to progress. But I think as we uh, as consumers, we continue to buy online in our everyday lives. Right. I think the progression to get that in our buying habits for our professional lives. Right. is probably going to change or, or continue to, to shift faster. Certainly for me, I, you know, I buy more and more online even um, since the pandemic. Buy groceries online. Never would have done that before. I think, Mike, to your point, if I see something on social, it catches my eye. I'm probably more likely to to at least shop online and, and, and nine times out of 10 make a purchase. So, so I think just following, I think the steel industry has always kind of been behind some other like consumer type trends and in, in buying and behavior. But I think we'll see it catch up fairly quickly now that we're, we're sort of used to this new business reality. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. So one of the uh, other items on the McKinsey list was that Americans are changing how they spend their time at home. A lot more people are cooking. A lot more people are doing home improvements. Um, they're spending a lot more time at home in general post-coronavirus, even though most restrictions are lifted. Um, and they're doing that by doing things around the house, which requires building materials. But I kind of wonder if if that means that people are more willing to spend their time to buy things digitally, or if they are a lot more uh, quick to, I just want it taken care of and I don't want to worry about it because I've got other things going on. So Jonathan, do you think you could speak to that at all? Do we see customers that are more in a hurry to get something done versus... Uh, taking their time and shopping around now, considering that there is this, we need it available and we need it convenient. Or do you think that people are still taking their time searching for the perfect option? Yeah. I mean, I think on the metal side of things for steel now, I do think that customers are shifting towards, Hey, I had this reliability and I usually get it from a supplier every two weeks. And that has now turned into, I don't have it for three, four weeks. I can't get it for another six weeks. So the urgency has definitely shifted because you have to think about, you know, our customer base when it comes to uh, contractors and fabricators, you know, they work on a job to job basis. They work on a two to three week basis where they're, they're buying material as needed. They don't necessarily stock up. Right. And when it comes to needing that availability or having that availability, they need it when that time comes up that they can purchase because, you know, cash flow, pro different things like that. Uh, but I do see a lot more urgency. Like you said previously, we are seeing, you know, bigger orders. We're seeing more quantity requests than we have seen in the past couple of years. Um, I think that's a lot of customers are behind because they haven't been able to buy it as regularly. But I also think that they're finding a necessity and an urgency to find someone that can give it to them. Uh, we had a customer who bought a couple weeks ago for a fairly sized order. Uh, he usually buys from a couple companies locally in DFW and they just have not had that material. And I literally spent an hour or two with him uh, and kind of just went through the order and, and found it for him. And he has been coming back because as far as he's concerned, no matter where the material is coming from, he needs the material. He has elders, he has shop guys sitting in their, in their shop, finding things to do. And, and as far as he's concerned as a business owner, he can't have that, right? He needs he needs a steady flow of work for them. So definitely a, an interesting shift in, in customer necessities and uh, urgency. Well, Jonathan, my, uh, I'm always going to go back to the, uh, the content and the intelligence. And, and I think, you know, speaking to your trend, um, you, you know, there, there's been a lot of, this is going on in any industry, right? I mean, you can't get the material, but I think, you know, transparency and why is very important right now. And I think companies that are able to educate um, the consumer about, you know, Hey, it's going to take X amount of time to get this. And here's why, here's the, here's the reasoning why you're, you're kind of earning that trust a little bit more. Right. I think, and, and I think that's something 
that has changed in the past few years. And even the past, I'd call it, you know, six to eight months, if, if not, if not even sooner is, you know, everybody's running into this. And I think the, the consumer that comes across a little bit more well-educated as to why has a little bit more trust in the brand. So I think um, helping understand that is, is really, really important. I completely agree. It's something that we definitely focus on here, especially being a newer company, you know, wanting to make sure these customers are comfortable with us, but then also explaining our process and being straightforward and and how we're going to take care of them. uh, You know, the service that we offer, but at the end of the day, despite uh, the differences in our business model or traditional business model is, you know, our goal is to to get that metal in our customer's hand um, and to focus on what's most important to them, right? So I feel like right now uh, there's ways to kind of gauge someone. So, you know, I always ask our customers, do you need it now? Meaning money is important, but not as important because I need it. Or, you know, can I wait a little bit to try and save a couple cents per pound, so to speak. So I think here at Steel Now, the, the mm-hmm. great thing is that we can really focus on their needs and kind of um, build a pathway towards what can help them and what can find their end goal or their solution to having the metal in their hands. So 75% of consumers have tried a new shopping behavior and most intend to continue it. So this is new shopping behavior could be a method of shopping, a brand, a different retailer, private label or store brand, or a new digital shopping method. Like you're, you're mentioning with the the social media stuff, the Instagram, et cetera. And out of those, most people tried it and decided, yep, I like that. So at the moment, it seems like you have a lot of people that are willing to try something new. And I think we see that on steel now as well. I mean, as far as web orders, people using online tool to make a quote and have it requested to be fulfilled, it's way up compared to two years ago. You know, we would get maybe one a month two years ago. Most people would prefer to call or text the first time. And now it's, we'll get many during a week, right? So part of that's for business growth. But the other part of it, I think people are very much willing to just try something new if it means that maybe they'll have it available because they're not having that same luck elsewhere. Mike, do you think that that is something that's going to be changing economy-wide as far as many brands will start positioning themselves more as try something new versus no, uh, they'll, they'll continue on with what they're doing now? I, I mean, I think um, any kind of brand in this day and age is going to have to do that. I mean, if, if they're just relying on traditional methods they they've seen that the world has shifted and you can't do that. You got to try these new, these new ways, like you said, new methods of digital habits, I guess you will. But, and I think what's going to rise to the top is the fact that, you know, the, the well-known brands are going to um, find a way to, to kind of address all those and, and, and give you more options. I guess what I mean by that is I think you're at a time right now where if consumers are switching brands or trying new things, it goes to that, that social media, pop-up ad I talked about, they may be more willing to try that, but they get burned once and then they're done, right? So then they'll go back. Sure. But I think of, uh, in the sense of being a traditional industry, right? Um, when I first started at Steel Now, I remember very quickly, like a couple of months in, I want to say it was Reliant Steel had a second brand that they created for doing really common stuff online. And it was like, a, it was big news, this online metal retailer uh, having an online presence that wasn't from 1999. And I don't know if, because it's a traditional industry, I think of other traditional industries that I, I'm also familiar with, like wood, you still don't see 
big brands that are selling lots of volume of wood having an online presence in any way. And I kind of want, and you see it at Lowe's and Home Depot, but if you're an actual woodworker, you know, that's not where you get good wood from. And I'm, I'm kind of curious why you don't see that starting, or it didn't start in the last two years, considering how expensive wood got, you would have expected some money to be thrown that way. Um, any opinions on that, Jason? Because you've been looking at metal for over 20 years. You've kind of seen how they've started shifting. Do you think other traditional industries are slower than metal or do you see that? And I'm just blind. No, I think you bring up a good point. And as you, before you mentioned lumber, you know, I'm, I was thinking, you know, the metal industry has been really kind of slow to adopt, you know, e-commerce and, and moving online more. And yeah, I think it's going to be tough for some of these more traditional businesses and, and you know, well-established companies if they don't have a strategy to get in, you know, get in the game. Doesn't mean they won't, but yeah, you got to wonder why more haven't already tried that, and especially or if they did have a strategy or they were thinking about the strategy, haven't sped it up because I think certainly the last two years were probably a wake up call if this is where business is moving to. You know, I think we all knew that prior to 2020. I think 2020 just, you know, probably moved the clock a lot faster, right? So yeah, you got to wonder why more companies, especially in traditional industries, if they've got the the capital and uh, can make the investment, you got to wonder why they're not. I took up woodworking as a hobby during the pandemic and, you know, the place where you go get specialty wood, there's like one place in my city that I live in and it's 20 minutes away. It's a hassle to get there. They're not like that really that friendly. And it's like, man, I just want to be able to go online and not deal with this because I have that impulse. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like they're anyways trying to solve that problem at the moment, but I hope that they do eventually. Yeah, if you think about any other interaction you where you spend your money, right? That's changed in the last five, 10 years, right? You go to a movie theater, you buy a ticket at a kiosk, go to McDonald's, you place your order at a kiosk, self-checkout at the grocery store, right? Online shopping, buy on your phone. I mean, these were things that weren't even around 10 years ago, right? We do it every day now. So I, I think the consumers want something different, right? They they want the convenience. They don't want to interact with people. They want to be able to do it on their own time, wherever they are. Uh, you know, you got to start wondering why, why more people are doing it faster. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, let's start talking about kind of future where we see things going. I personally, you know, I have a bias here where, and maybe this is just what I want the future to hold, but I really think that the fact that people started defaulting back to private label brands and convenience and value became the most important is that the future really belongs to the honest and genuine company that serves its customers needs the best. It has nothing to do with any of the other kind of gimmicks or anything like that. It really comes down to providing a value um, at a decent price and being really just upfront about it with your customer. That's my personal opinion, but let's go around the table and go with uh, you, Jonathan, what's your prediction? Um, yeah. I mean, as far as when it comes to smaller brands and, and growing on a personal level, I kind of see that, you know, me personally, I'm a big like YouTube follower. I, I follow that more than I actually watch TV, honestly. Um, and then social channels and things like that. So I think you see a lot of shift of people buying the traditional brands or the higher end brands or clothing or whether it's just traditional or your, your typical brands that people would use of, a, I don't know, a vacuum or something. But what I'm getting at is what I'm starting to see and I think is going to keep becoming a thing is where, you know, 
a lot of the younger generation and and I guess the millennials and down to Gen Z, but it's essentially they're they kind of find this following of who they really have grown to like the content or really like what they offer as a smaller brand. And I think you like you said, eighty percent growth um, within the smaller brands, which is huge. But I see it all the time. I mean. You know, you follow you follow a channel. They offer merch. They offer different things that supports their channel. People really enjoy what they offer. So now they're shifting that toward more of a smaller place. I know during the you know pandemic and even after, you know, a lot of people were definitely trying to support local businesses, trying to you know find ways to help them out to hope to you know keep them a flux, keep them going. Um, even with small, even with restaurants, you know, I feel like a lot of people are shifting towards the smaller restaurant, the family owned, so they can offer a little support uh, and you get as much value as you get from the bigger one. So the way I see it is, you know, in the future, I could see a lot more shift towards the smaller brands, a lot more support in that way. You know, I think people are a lot more open to trying new stuff, new brands and new uh, products because you never know. I mean, I think a lot of, I think a lot of what the past two years has taught us is like, there's a lot of good stuff out there. It's just, we haven't searched and we haven't realized it. And you might find things that are better suited for you. Based on that, I found it really interesting how quickly people abandoned the purpose driven ship on this, right? So reasons for trying a new brand, you talked about Jonathan, Hey, you know, as long as it's available and convenient, we, there were so many, there was so much momentum around, I'm only doing business with companies that, you know, are purpose-driven and this, that, but when we saw, this may be an unpopular opinion, but like when we saw push come to shove and things aren't available, purpose-driven suddenly went down to their bottom list of priorities. I think that's that's, interesting. I think that's exactly what the data says too, Mike. I think that backs up exactly what you're saying there. Purpose-driven was the last on the list for reasons of buying something on this list. So that makes a lot of sense. But I mean, just to add on to what Jonathan was saying, you know, I remember seeing this a couple of years ago, and this was even before the pandemic where there was a shift to smaller private label alcohols, I think is where this started, you know, micro brews and small batch bourbons and whiskeys were a huge thing just three or four years ago. Like that was, that was a huge drive. And I see that in a lot of other things now that I didn't see before, you know, private, private label guitars is one of them. Like people are making guitars in their garage and videoing it and selling these online where they might make three guitars a year. And they're selling these for $1,500, $2,000 each. This is, this is their hobby that's turned into just like something that people appreciate this craftsmanship from. Right. And I think that is spreading. I do agree with you on that, Jonathan, but uh, Mike, let's go to your prediction. I was going to say small batch whiskey is still a big thing in, in, in Jason's neck of the woods, I think. So I think he's still, still a big thing that. in my neck of the woods. It's yeah. just, that's the, that's the norm now. You don't go and buy, you know, the standard black or white label of something. You there's there is so many good ones that you can pick from where they only make, you know, 20 barrels a year and it's affordable mm-hmm. enough where it, and it's better. So I, I don't think that's going away. Real quick, Tony, to your point about the smaller labels, you know, someone like an app like Etsy that offers literally someone at their home knitting up a shirt or selling their own goods. Etsy since 2016 has grown by 538%. So obviously that that's a strong show that people are willing to go and buy Christmas presents or buy things from individuals rather than just looking at the name brand. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Mike, let's get to your future predictions. Well, I, I think, I think when you look at, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to always default to the, uh, to the content and to the consumer um, persona type of discussion, if you will. But I think, I think brands that, that not only 
um, kind of cater to you as a, as a consumer, but can, uh, cater to your buying habits, who you are, um, are going to ultimately win out. Right. So at, at steel now we talk a lot about, you know, what, what types of customers are we looking at? You know, you got those that are willing to browse a little bit more and those that are, you know, need it now. So I think, I think brands that kind of figure that out and could lead you in the right direction based on, you know, your, your need, whether it's now or whether it's immediate or a little bit more long-term um, and understand you as a consumer rather than just this kind of black blanket marketing are, are going to ultimately win out. So I think there's, there's a lot of sophistication happening in, in understanding the consumer a little bit more. And I think brands that understand that and take the time to figure that out are going to ultimately win, win out. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason predictions. Uh, hold on. I'm finishing a glass of small batch bourbon. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think for me, all things being equal convenience, right? Just it, how easy is it to do business? Are they where I'm, where are, you know, are they where I'm at? Are they where I need them to be? Can I, how quickly can I get it? You know, is it easy to pay all those things for me? You know, just how, easy it is to do business with remove as much friction from the process as possible i i think those those brands will do well um given you know constraints on time and and just hopefully expanding technology making things easier to to interact with so yeah for me convenience i think that makes sense so now we'll do the ominous predictions currently things aren't looking so good on the international scale, and they affect a lot of things. Gas price is one of them. Predictions there, and Jonathan, um, if you want to start, is there brand loyalty in gas? Um, the the funny thing to me that I've been kind of seeing a lot of, of course, gas is like the biggest hot topic. Who knew 2022? But for me, you know, personally, I'm like I'm a type of person where I only put a certain type of gas in my vehicle, right? I'm I'm really meticulous about my vehicle. I know it's weird. I love my car. The crazy thing is that you see some you see an influx of people who have bought Costco memberships and they own they go and get gas at Costco too now. I have never really gotten gas from Costco. I've had a membership forever. But the interesting thing is is, is you see a huge line at Costco now for gas and it's 40 cents cheaper. It's something they offer to their members. Um, it's, it's, it's a big difference in price. People are shifting towards doing that and getting gas over there and they don't really care about the, I don't know how good quality gas at Costco is. I don't know if everybody pays attention to it, but what they see is a 40 cents per gallon cheaper. Right. And then, you know, interesting thing about Costco, not even just gas is, you know, they've grown like 10 million members in the past year or two. And from what I've read, a lot of it is their consistency. So they're not an online company. So they might be an anomaly of a difference compared to most, but they're not an online company, but what they offer is reliability. So a funny comment is someone said, you know, when I go to the store to buy cream cheese, Costco always has plenty. When I go to other stores, it's a hit or a miss. So the point is, is, you know, reliability and then price is a big thing with inflation and availability of products. And it's kind of interesting to see a company that's a little more traditional, like Costco, you have to go in person, um, kind of gaining a customer base. But it does say that they're focusing heavily on making an online presence for e-commerce, and they hope to one day compete with Amazon. So it even shows no matter how good they're doing and how much growth they've made, um, they're definitely moving into the e-commerce world. 
the eight pound bag of or a container of cream cheese is is a good is right? yeah right. bagels yeah. yep yeah and, and those things cream cheese goes bad like after like two days I can only imagine the the Costco one have you you have to throw out like seventy four <laughs> containers of cream cheese because they all went bad <laughs> you have to have more kids. So I also have a loyalty to a gas station and it is actually Kroger gas stations because when you shop at Kroger grocery stores, you get money off of your gas. And so I'm sure that is also a common thing that people will do because you can get up to a dollar per gallon off your gas, depending on how much you spend in the grocery store and having three kids, I spend a lot at the grocery store. Yeah. A lot, a lot more. Yes. Uh, Oh my gosh. Uh, they keep saying it's like seven, eight percent. No way. <laughs> no way. No way. It's it's a lot more than that at the grocery store. But um, as far as predictions, what about you, Mike? I, I mean, if you look at this, the inflation, right, of everything and and. <laughs> It's not only with consumer goods, but if you look at like a a region like Russia and the Ukraine, for example, um, they they produce and export so much of what goes into making commodities like metal. Right. So that sends metal prices crazy. There's the, the event, you know few weeks ago from when we're recording nickel all right yeah it's traded and traded on the london metal exchange and you know a producer um one of the mills i think that was afraid they were gonna they weren't gonna have enough inventory to to meet demand went in and made a big made a short sale and basically stopped the market and sent the the cost of nickel higher surcharges then went higher so i think Right now, I mean, I don't know if it's much of a, a prediction or more just kind of a, a sense of what the current situation is. So many there's there's a lot of quote unquote panic buying among commodities, and that could make the availability of materials to produce things like metal much more scarce. And you're already kind of seeing it with these prices, and that's scary. Absolutely, and it's not just metal. I mean, fertilizer. Uh, yeah. 13% of the world's fertilizer comes from Russia and another 5% comes from Belarus. Both are in, involved currently in the that's conflict. A, that's, that's a crazy. Lot. Yeah. So like much said. like, yeah, everything, yeah. you know, food products, everything, you know, for you, like you said, you know, pesticides, fertilizers, things and that, that disrupts the entire, entire supply chain. And if you get more of this panic buying, things become scarce, you get into rationing again. And I mean, that that's where, that's where things get really scary. Well, especially because there's been trends of panic buying for the last two years, it becomes mm-hmm. very terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, exactly. So I, I think in the short term, I'm, I'm, I'm worried, but I'm thinking in the long term, I'm optimistic. What about you, Jason? I'm on my uh, second glass of small batch bourbon. Um, I, yeah, I think to Mike's point, I think we're going to see, you know, continuation of, of uh, supply chain disruptions. And we'll probably feel it more here at home than we, we realize um, with the, you know, whatever they, they call Ukraine, the Europe spread basket. I, I think with those disruptions, I think that's going to put a strain on, you know, some of our food production here and where that food goes. Um, you know, and then just the continuation of, you know, metal commodities in short supply. And probably, you know, more price increases are likely. So uh, just when, you know, you thought things were going to maybe hopefully normalize in 22, uh, it's probably going to be more of the same or worse. So I guess we'll have to hang on and see what happens. I want to see how long this podcast can go to how many glasses of small batch bourbon, Jason. 
Uh, every go a while. Nuclear. Yeah, I've got I've got a, a pretty good supply here, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm up for the challenge. Did you, you panic been, buy that, Jason? A, yeah, he's panic, buy. panic buying bourbon <laughs> essentials. And just to tack on to what you said there, Russia and Ukraine are the number one and number five exporters of wheat in the world. So I was going to bring that up. Yeah, Bread is up a lot. Yep. So I am optimistic, though. I think the future holds great potential and we'll do just fine. So just to end it on a on a high note there. But any uh, any final words? Yeah, appreciate you having me. This was fun. Well, thank you for coming, Jason. It was great to talk to you. You too, Mike and Jonathan, as always. And this was the first episode of 2022 for the In The Now podcast and hopefully many more to come this year. Thank you, everybody, and have a great day. Mm -hmm.